Hello and welcome. I am Dr. Lara May, a clinical pharmacist specializing in functional medicine, as well as a certified yoga teacher and Reiki master. I run a truly integrative health coaching practice, encompassing functional medicine lab testing, yoga and meditation, and a sprinkling of Reiki energy medicine. Join me here on Light Body Radio to break through your health plateau and come into alignment with your natural vitality. Hello and welcome to Light Body Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lara May, and today I want to bring you a quick little tidbit about the top 10 reasons why grains are making you sick. Now, I'm sure you've heard, if you are an American that uh, consumes any sort of media and or goes to the physician, um, even in the once a year frequency, that grains are healthy, they provide much needed fiber and essential sources of nutrients and B vitamins and minerals, and all that good stuff. And the USDA's dietary guidelines encourage the consumption of grains, and suggesting that eating whole grains can lower cholesterol levels and even decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease. And up until recently, the all too famous food pyramid actually suggested that we eat six to 11 servings of grains, rice, cereal, and pasta every day. And is it any wonder that now 60% of Americans are are obese or overweight? That's, you know, crazy. So Although epidemiological evidence consistently demonstrates an inverse association between the intake of whole grain foods and abdominal obesity, at the same time, there are the controlled clinical trials are actually inconclusive. So the primary literature that we have available to us about grains is inconclusive. However, what we do know is that the food industry is driving the food guidelines. They are part of the focus groups and all of that. Um, and what in the process of determining what our food pyramid or what is now our food plate is going to look like. And even if you look at the food plate, there's still a big portion of that plate that is dedicated to grains. But there are some really good reasons why we should avoid grains to prevent development of inflammation, to prevent metabolic problems, and to prevent chronic disease. And let's just also go ahead and say this because we need to speak the truth here. Grains don't provide any nutritional benefits that you can't get from healthier, less inflammatory sources of food. Do I need to say that again? Grains do not provide any nutritional benefit that you can't get from healthier sources of food. That's really important for you all to get, to hear, to understand. It's okay if you like them and you don't have a problem with them. Or you, and if you say, I don't have a problem with them, are you sure? Have you tested? Just because you don't uh, recognize, you know, an immediate gastric effect from it doesn't mean that your body isn't having an inflammatory response, which you wouldn't know 
is the root cause of maybe some other inflammatory issues until you test, which is why in functional medicine, we don't guess, we test. So again, I mentioned this a little earlier, but flawed studies and pressure from the agricultural industry have convinced us that grains are a healthy part of a balanced diet. And in reality, they're a leading contributor to many of our most common ailments. We now know that high cholesterol is driven by sugar and carbs. What are grains made up of? Carbs. There are some grains that have a higher protein content, like quinoa, for example, has a higher protein content. But, um, and I just want to give you a real quick breakdown of exactly what is a grain. So we probably already know that wheat, rye, oats, barley are grains, um, but also farro, quinoa, corn, buckwheat, rice, and sorghum are also grains. So the cereal grains are corn, millet, barley, oats, rice, teff, and wheat. Pseudo cereals are chia, quinoa, and buckwheat. Legumes, aka pulses, are fava beans, soybeans, peanuts, chickpeas, and lentils. And oil seeds are canola, sunflower, flax, hemp, and poppy seeds. So grains are seeds with or without whole or fruit layers harvested for consumption. And I just went through those four classes for you. And why is this important? So the, um, let's see. So the, the bran part is, so when they talk about um, fiber is the skin of the grain which contains all dietary fiber and vitamins. And then the germ part, so we'll get a little bit into the botany here, is the embryo of the grain with the potential to develop into a plant. It contains vitamins, minerals, and proteins. And the endosperm, the germ's main food supply, which contains all primarily starch and provides energy for the germ to grow before it's able to acquire nutrients for photosynthesis. So whole grains retain all three of these parts of the grain, while refined grains retain only the endosperm. And so when you're talking or when you hear the word um, complex carbohydrate or a whole grain, that's what that actually means is that it has all three parts. And you've often heard that complex carbohydrates are better for you because they spike your blood glucose less. The reason they do it is because they take longer to break down by your um, GI tract and all the enzymes that it requires to break these aspects of the grain down. And so it does take longer for your body to digest and then absorb the components that it needs. However, please remember that every single grain eventually is digested and absorbed into its component parts, which means glucose, fat, or protein. And some of these grains have more protein and fat than others. Some of them are actually um, anti-inflammatory. If we go back to the pseudo cereals, chia and quinoa, actually are very anti-inflammatory. They have higher fat content. They actually have omega-3s in them. And they also have protein. And so um, if you are vegan and you're looking for complete protein sources, chia and quinoa are actually good, good go-tos for you. 
But overall, the rest of mainly the cereal grains. So, you know, like I said, I went over those four classes, but the cereal grains and the oil seeds are specifically the canola and the sunflower oil are very inflammatory. They have a higher omega-6 content than all the rest of the oil seeds. So actually flax and hemp are higher in omega-3s. They're anti-inflammatory. Canola and sunflower are inflammatory because they have a higher omega-6 and 9 ratio, making them inflammatory to your system. And also to the cereal grains. Those are the ones that are the most problematic. So let's get into a little bit more of the why. So gliadin, that is the first reason why. What is gliadin? So um, gliadin-derived opioid peptides actually stimulate your appetite. So the, gra the grains contain different proteins. One of them is actually similar to opioids, and this stimulates your appetite, making you crave more carbs. So as a result, you are more prone to overeating. And this, as you can imagine, this leads to a really vicious, hard to get out of cycle. So when you're you know, you have, you're in the habit of like having a weekly pasta night and maybe even a weekly pizza, weekly pizza night. And then you, you know, you maybe you might notice, oh, I'm craving pizza or I'm craving pasta or you're craving a sandwich or you're craving just even maybe a piece of bread with peanut butter, butter or jam on it or something. There's a reason for that. So um, this protein that is within the, these grains is stimulating your appetite to instigate more cravings, more carb cravings specifically. Gliadin is the wheat protein and um, there are different pro so zine is in is in corn. Um, and there's other different proteins in barley and rye, and even oats has a different protein. Um, but they're all considered prolamin proteins. So all of these proteins uh, actually, when digested, create opioid-like molecules that combine to your opioid receptors. So when that happens, you get this dopamine response of pleasure. And so there's the, another factor of it reinforcing the craving, reinforcing the reward when you satisfy the craving. And so it's not just in your head. If you're in the habit of eating these things that you do have cravings, it is chemically motivated and it is um, built into this reward system, which our old lizard-like brain, not our, you know, smart prefrontal cortex, but the lizard part of the brain, that's what drives that part of the brain is automatic action and these chemical signals that reward us and or tell us we're in danger. So um, so a lot of times when you switch to low carb diets, you will go through a carbohydrate withdrawal. A lot of people quit before they even get through that period because they have low energy, fatigue, um, they might even have headaches. And in general, they just feel like crap. And that's, you know, part of the, the detox process, it doesn't have to be. There are things you can do to mitigate the die-off symptoms or the withdrawal symptoms. But um, 
it's important to sort of go, if you're going to switch lifestyles, either do it gradually, but if you do it cold turkey, understand that there is going to be a period of, uh, for lack of a better word, withdrawal. So another reason that proteins, uh, or I'm sorry, that gl gluten and grains should be avoided, <laughs> should be avoided, is because uh, there are pro so gluten itself is a protein also in grains, and that specific protein can trigger autoimmune diseases. Even if you do not have celiac disease, if your body is inflamed and constantly stressed out, and if you are just going crazy, not even going crazy, but I would say like standard American diet eating uh, glutinous foods daily, which is normal. That's why it's called the standard American diet for most of us. Uh, you will develop a gluten sensitivity, and that could show up as abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, heartburn. Um, it can even show up as acne or um, eczema. Different types of skin manifestations are a reflection of your gut health. And so as many as one in eight people suffer from gluten sensitivity in the United States. So again, a sensitivity is different from an allergy. You don't have to be a full-blown celiac to have a sensitivity or an allergy. Um, it's simple to get tested. It's one of the baseline tests I include uh, with all of my patients is an IgG food sensitivity test. Because we really, if we're going to understand the source of inflammation in the body, we have to look at the, what we're putting in our body. That's first and foremost. So there's also something called wheat germ agglutinins, and they are very inflammatory. And this is another part of the inflammatory chemical cascade that comes out of a grain. So it's also called WGA. So we'll just call it that for simplicity's sake. But it's a protein found in the germ of the wheat, and it's present in all the cereal grains. And like gluten, it can trigger inflammatory reactions in the intestine. So you, if, you know, this can lead to a whole bunch of problems. It can create leaky gut. If you already have leaky gut, it can make it worse. Um, again, if you already have a compromised immune system, your immune system starts with your gut. If you already have that, then adding gluten on top of it is not doing yourself any favors and can exacerbate and lead to a lot of downstream other problems. But the other interesting thing that I found while looking into this for you guys to bring you this really um, dense and concise little um, segment today is that WGAs can inhibit the release of bile from the gallbladder, leading to a higher risk of gallstones. So how many of you out there have gallstones or have had them and or had your gallbladder removed because of chronic stones? It could have been caused from the breads, from the gluten that you were eating, from all those cereal grains. So WGAs also block vasoactive intestinal peptide receptors. What are those? VIPs. They lead to problems like weakening immunity of the gut. They increase cortisol production. They increase asthma. They increase, again, risk of gut autoimmune diseases. So I think also it's it's worth mentioning, too, that these, if we think about it, you know, um, from 
the start of our lifespan. If we're not breastfed by our mothers, where is that formula coming from? What What is the makeup of the formula that we were given as babies? Some of us have been introduced to a lot of this stuff since day one. And, you know, it's worth also saying that the mother's diet, whatever the mother is eating during breastfeeding, obviously gets passed on to the baby through that breast milk. So these proteins, these inflammatory um, chemicals, if the mom is inflamed and she's breastfeeding, then she's unfortunately providing inflamed breast milk to the baby. And I'm not laying blame here. I am I am of the train of thought of let's take radical responsibility for our bodies, for our choices, for our actions. And let's just say, you know, oh, wow, you know, I that was a choice I made. Maybe it was an uninformed choice at the time. That's okay. I'm going to forgive myself and move forward. But moving forward, I'm going to make better choices for myself. And I'm going to do the best I can with the knowledge that I'm given. So whole grains and refined grains contain significant amounts of starches and sugars, and they're very high in calories. And so amylopectin and amylose are two sugar components of starches in grains. And amylose is a straight chain sugar molecule that's more resistant to digestion, while amylopectin is a branched chain sugar molecule with greater surface area that breaks down quickly for absorption. So just to put this into perspective, if we think of a piece of bread with those two molecules in it, two slices of whole wheat bread, raise your blood sugar higher than six teaspoons of table sugar will. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? 80% of the starches in grain is amylopectin, which leads to this more rapid rise in blood sugar. So any of you out there, if you're struggling with keeping your cholesterol down, know that amylopectin-rich foods are driving part of your rise in cholesterol and also increasing your insulin resistance and adding more body fat production in the long run. These are serious consequences of grains, of bread. It is, it drives me nuts when I see a patient come into our hospital and what is considered a carb-controlled diet is 50 grams of carbs per meal. That's insane to me. Insane. How do we expect someone's blood sugar to go back to normal if we're pumping them full of these carbs, a lot of which are bread, even in the hospital? Uh, this is this is how Western medicine approaches insulin resistance and diabetes. We just feed you more of the food that makes you sick, and then we just give you medicine to treat the symptom that that's actually being caused by what you're eating. So let me go back to what I, I just mentioned it briefly, but I want to go back and dive more deeply into this, is how these foods, glutens, grains, the sugar drives cholesterol. Amylopectin triggers the formation of small LDL, low-density protein, lipoprotein particles. And in comparison, eating fat causes large LDL particles. So what's the difference between the small and the large LDL particles? Large LDL, LDL particles persist in the bloodstream for approximately 24 hours after fat consumption. 
small LDL particles can persist for five days or more, and they're more adherent to the components of the artery wall. So that's where LDL gets its bad rap from. However, it's not the LDL from saturated fat intake that's the issue. The problem is the small LDL particles from carb consumption that clog up your artery walls, raising your risk of cardiovascular disease and causing life-threatening issues like heart attack and stroke. Do I need to repeat that? Because that's like big, big, big wow. So when you go to the doctor and they test your cholesterol panel, they look at your HDL, which is considered the quote unquote good cholesterol, and they look at your LDL, but they don't divide that test into the large and the small. So they're just looking at the amount of LDL in your bloodstream, period. They have no idea how much of it is the large, how much of it is the small. And actually in functional medicine, we go a step further and we can test up to 15 biomarkers within the cholesterol panel to really assess the level of inflammation that the cholesterol in your body has. Because your brain absolutely has to have cholesterol to function healthily. One of the biggest long-term side effects of statin drugs is increased risk for diabetes and dementia. Why? Because when they lower that cholesterol through the medication, you are depriving your brain of the cholesterol that it needs to function and you develop dementia as a consequence. So statins are very good at what they do. Are they necessary for as many people that are on them? Honestly, probably not. Are they benign and without consequence? Absolutely not. So these are things that are important for you to know. And if your doctor's not telling you and you're not doing the research, then how are you going to know how to make informed choices and make decisions that are right for you. This is also part of my mission to empower you to step in and take an active role in your health. Okay, do I sound like I'm lecturing? I feel like I caught myself lecturing. I don't want to lecture, but I, I'm really passionate about, about you guys, like being informed and understanding, you know, what these different aspects of both your diet and the medicines and the consequences, the whole picture, so that you you can decide for yourself. If you want to decide for yourself that you're going to eat, you know, in and out all day long, every day, that's fine, but know what you're getting yourself into. So when your doctor then comes to you and says, you need to be on a statin because you have all of these small LDLs floating through your bloodstream that are going to grab onto your, you know, arteries and cause clots, you won't be surprised. And then you can say, well, I've decided not to stop eating it in and out, so I should probably take the statin. Versus, on the other hand, you could decide not to eat the in and out. You could, you know, there are lots of decisions that you can make, but you can't make a truly informed decision if you don't have the information. So I'm just going to go over a few more here. I'm not going to go through the whole 10 because um, I want to keep these segments short. So, um, I think we've hit on most of the one. Oh, let's talk about dangers of GMO. So grains that exist in the United States today bear little resemblance to the ancient grains of our ancestors that uh, really started eating grains about 10,000 years ago. Since then, farmers have massively changed grains over the years through techniques like hybridization, genetic modification, and two kinds of grains that are genetically modified the most in this country are corn and soybean. 
Monsanto introduced GMO corn in 1996 and GMO soybeans in 1998. So think about this. If humans have not adapted to domestic grains in 10,000 years, how in the world do we think our bodies are going to be adapted to GMOs in the tiny period of 25 years? So if we started eating grains 10,000 years ago and our bodies are still having a hard time digesting them, assimilating them, and they, we now know that they cause inflammation and disease in our body, so we already know that, then the next level is, oh, now we've gone in and started modifying them. I can't imagine that's making it better. So GMO corn produces chemicals such as BT toxin, which is designed to kill pests, and BT toxin kills insects by attacking their guts. So if we eat that kind of corn, then it stands to reason that it's going to screw up our gut as well. GMO crops also have resistance to herbicides like glyphosate, which can disturb beneficial bacteria and promote the growth of harmful bacteria in the human guts, leading to chronic inflammation and, and autoimmune disease. So some studies also suggest that glyphosate can trigger symptoms in humans that resemble those in celiac and gluten intolerance. CDC statistics also show a strong correlation between the amount of glyphosate applied to wheat and the incidence of celiac disease itself. So all of those, like I've given you so many reasons today about why that we really, I think everyone should consider limiting the amount of grains in their diet to as least amount as possible. Do I think everyone on the planet needs to go gluten-free? No, I don't think they need to. Would they benefit from it? Yeah, sure. Does everyone on the planet have celiac? No, absolutely not. But over time, by being constantly bombarded by toxins, being living a very stressful Western life, already having different insults to our immune system throughout life, including constant antibiotics when we're children, um, being exposed to plastics, pseudo-hormones, um, you know, all of these different things that are just call, wreak havoc on our body. When we introduce something like this that is damaging, it's it's just more insult to injury. So we're not doing ourselves any favors by eating this stuff day in and day out multiple times a day for multiple meals. So my advice to you, my suggestion, my recommendation would be to just start limiting it. If like, like me, myself, I know I have a gluten sensitivity. I've done the testing. I do all the testing with all my with all my patients. This is one of the baseline tests that I do for everyone that comes through my door, unless they've already done it and they can show me results. So with those people, then we know what we need to eliminate and what we can uh, keep. But if you're not going to do the testing, I would just suggest start weaning yourself off, bringing yourself down. And just notice if you notice a difference in your health, you might even notice you go through a little withdrawal, even if you get yourself down, like you go from like seven days a week of bread to one day a week of bread. Or maybe you just start by eliminating one day a week of each week until you get down to zero. So what that would be like a seven week taper down, right? Seven days in a week should be pretty easy math. 
Um, yeah, so that's my suggestion. I would love to know like what you think about what I've said, what I've brought to you today, what you're going to try. If you're just going to be like, whatever lady, I don't believe you. That's fine too. Um, but I'm bringing you this information because I want you to have the most informed um, ability out there and know all the information that's out there. It's impossible for us to all to know everything, but that's why it's important for those of us that are passionate about certain things to bring this information to light, to bring it out into the world for it can, so it can be discussed and debated and investigated so that we can come up with the best possible solutions for each of us as individuals. Okay, everybody. Again, Dr. Lara May here. Check out my website. If you haven't had the testing and you want to get the testing done, please reach out. Um, I can de definitely get that done for you. It's super easy and it's really inexpensive. DrLaraMay.com. You can also have a free discovery call with me. It's about 20 minutes um, and I can tell you straight away if I think I'll be able to help you or if I need to refer you out to a different practitioner. Um, I do that quite often as well. And um, anyway, also let me know if there's anything specifically you want to hear about, learn about, know about, or hear me like discuss or debate. If there's something that you think is a hot topic that you maybe want a deeper dive on. Uh, that's why I'm bringing you these segments of just me talking to you because um, there's things that I'm passionate about that I definitely want to make sure that this knowledge is disseminated. Um, but I also want to know what you're passionate about and what you need help with. That's what I'm here for is to help you in any way I can. So thank you again, you guys, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Next week will be another interview and um, I'm just going to be alternating with uh, my podcast these days with me doing a segment just for you every other week and then um, continuing my interview series the opposite weeks. So anyway, all right, I'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye.